owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM. Time now for the Morning Citizen, brought to you as a community service by your Prince George citizen. Northern Health was home to 33 active cases of COVID-19 on Wednesday, according to the BC Centre for Disease Control, down four from the day before. The number in hospitals stood at six, down two, and one of them was intensive care, down from three on Tuesday. In a joint statement, Dr. Bonnie Henry and Deputy Health Minister Stephen Brown said the number of cases across the province continues to be too high. They said that thousands of residents are being forced to deal with the stress of self-isolating as a result of others not following proper COVID-19 safety precautions. They said everyone needs to follow the proper safety guidelines to ensure businesses and communities can remain open. Police have made arrests in connection with the spree of gunplay in the city. Backed by the North District RCMP's emergency response team, Prince George RCMP executed a search warrant early Wednesday morning on a 400-block South Lion Street home in the Spruceland area. Eight adults were arrested and two loaded firearms, along with ammunition and a stun gun, were seized as a result. Two men, ages 21 and 28, were held in custody and were to appear in court Wednesday pending charge approval from Crown Counsel. RCMP said the developments are a direct result of the ongoing investigation into the jump in gunplay in the city that's seen two people struck with gunfire and a trio of homes targeted in drive-by shootings. The B.C. Coroner's Service recorded seven deaths in August related to illicit drugs in the city, pushing the year-to-date total to 29 and past that scene for all of 2019, where 25 were counted. Six of the deaths involved fentanyl. Year-to-date, that total now stands 23, just five fewer than that seen all of last year. The coroner's service noted that at 40 deaths, the Northern Health region has had the highest rate per 100,000 people in the province. In August, there were 16 deaths across the region, up from 14 the month before. Across B.C., the coroner's service said 147 people fatally overdosed in August, compared with 86 deaths during the same month last year. The Morning Citizen is brought to you by your Prince George Citizen. For a complete look at the news and sports stories that affect you most, visit your Prince George Citizen online at princegeorgecitizen.com. Prince George five-day forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Wind south 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 14. Partly cloudy tonight with showers beginning before morning, gusting south winds becoming light near midnight and a low of 6. For Friday, more showers, wind southeast 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 11. A mix of sun and cloud on Saturday, a low of 4 and a high of 11. Sunday, rain, a low of 5 and a high of 16. A mix of sun and cloud on Monday, a low of 7 and a high of 14. And the long-range forecast for Tuesday and Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud each day, lows near 7, highs around 20. With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And it's a Thursday edition of After 9. No Daryl this morning because he went golfing yesterday and and apparently golfing involves partaking in other things. (laughs) So he he bowed out for this morning. But we do have some uh, great interviews coming up, including Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey, an interview I did with him last Thursday evening. But first up, uh, on the phone from uh, Stop the Spray, we have James. Hi, James. Hello. James, uh, tell us a little bit about Stop the Spray. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, it's um, Stop the Spray BC. we got the BC in there if you want to find us on the internet. Okay. Uh, StopTheSprayBC.com. Uh, um, and basically it's an initiative. Uh, it's, um, I'm a woodworker. I do uh, uh, I have a little sawmill. I, I have a, a wood shop and I try to add value to our, our wood products, I guess. Um, and the other half of Stop the Spray BC is Herb Martin. I think he comes on the, the radio later from time to time, and he's a, a silviculture contractor who does brushing and uh, tree planting um, supervision and logging supervision and that kind of thing. So we both have background in, in forestry, and I used to work at Clear Lake Fondles before it closed down when I was a kid. Um, my dad worked there. Um, and then they have a farm uh, down the Blackwater, and uh, they started spraying all around our farm. And that's kind of why I started looking into it. Well, I'm glad Herb didn't call in because he gets enough radio airtime. <laughs> oh, there you go. You know, I didn't even I didn't even tell him. I kind of, you know, what, to be honest, I almost uh, missed the call here this morning myself. So, okay. Uh, so, what's the what's the progress? Where are we at with stop the spray? I, I think I think most people. I think your average consumer, your average uh, Joe on the street, 
uh, kind of agrees that we don't need to be spraying uh, pesticides or anything in the uh, in the air. Uh, where are we at with that? Uh, I, we're we're making progress. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was invited by uh, UNBC to do a little presentation to their field school for the forestry uh, field school for the students. Um, you know, and I think that's the first time they've had. Uh, you know, somebody who's just clearly against something like that, talk to the students and um, make the case for why we need to allow more deciduous. And, you know, it, it's, despite the name Stop the Spray BC, it's more of like a pro, or I look at personally as more of a pro uh, deciduous, pro-aspen, pro-birch kind of movement and just try to get people to appreciate uh, the value of these of these trees that are considered weeds. Um, because when you when you dig into it and look at it, these trees are actually pretty cool. You know, they do a lot of really important things on the landscape. Uh, they feed uh, our, a lot of our wildlife. Uh, if we didn't have aspen trees, we would have uh, much, much fewer beaver. Um, and in studies of the Rocky Mountains there, if there's no aspen, there's no beaver. You know, it's just that closely related. So if you go and and take out all the aspen right up to beaver habitat, you're not going to have beaver in those, um, in those areas. Yeah, and I guess that's part of, the, uh, part of the problem is looking at the big picture. When you use an herbicide, you get rid of vegetation that can affect the whole, whole ecosystem, can't it? Oh, yeah, and uh, actually I, just, um, I was just in contact with some scientists in Sweden where they, they sprayed um, Agent Orange on their forest from 1953 until 1978, and uh, they're studying the impacts of this, and they found that, uh, you know, 60 years after getting sprayed, uh, the deciduous did not return uh, to these forests, which, you know, they were a permanent part of that forest before. So these are long-term impacts, and, and we say that, well, we're only doing it once, um, you know, and farming, we'll do it every year, so it's no big deal. But actually, if you only do it once, that's enough. Um, that's, it only takes one time to get rid of those trees, and they don't really come back. Um, now, uh, keeping those trees in the ecosystem, uh, are those trees useful for other things? Like we, we talk about getting rid of them because we can't really uh, mill them like we can the, uh, the pine and the spruce. Oh, oh absolutely. So uh, if you go to Fort St. John, I mean, they have huge factories that rely entirely on aspen. Um, almost all the new construction, even in Prince George, will have aspen in that construction. So OSB, chipboard panel. Uh, that's almost all aspen. Uh, they'll also use cottonwood in there. Uh, so there's a huge new uh, market and forest products for engineered products where you basically chip up the wood and, and then reconstitute it. Uh, those products are more stable. They're, you know, they're engineered products. Um, and aspen's actually a really good wood for that because aspen is like very similar to western red cedar. It um, has uh, low expansion and contraction rates, so it's, it's a good product for panels and uh, beams and that kind of thing where you want um, stability. So it's just, it's actually just uh, because we don't have a factory in Prince George to utilize it, therefore these are weed species. I mean, that's the only criteria that we're going by. It's not because it's not a good wood or it's not useful. And then even if you didn't use it for a wood product, I mean, it's good to have on the landscape for fire uh, prevention and reduction. Because these trees, when they have leaves on them, they are considered a non-burning fuel type. So, you know, the rules are so uh, restrictive on these forests. You you have to have 95% conifer domination on every single cup block across the entire central interior. And your aspen forest can only be two hectares big. That's the largest it's allowed to be. It's written right in the rules. And so then you can't really use aspen as a fire break on the landscape. If you have such minimal uh, requirements, you know, if you doubled the size of the aspen forest, you could use them as a, a barrier and, um, you know, the, the fire would hit those areas and it would slow right down and you could tie it into fire breaks and, you know, and then you, then you could protect your conifer with those trees. And not only just from fire, but also probably from pests, uh, pine beetles, you know, if they, if they hit a patch of aspen, they might slow them down. So it's just good to have diversity in our forest. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned fire and the pine beetle and, and these problems that the forest industry has been facing. Uh, 
is that a direct result of our forestry uh, our forestry practices over the past hundred years? Um, in definitely in some areas. So when you look at the Bobtail Lake fire, there was uh, very clear evidence there of, and it wasn't actually spraying. And the one the one case that I thought was really a good example was actually just manual brushing. Because I remember when I was a kid, they went and cut down all the aspen right along the road uh, to make basically a pine plantation. And that burnt, the fire burnt it, and then right up the hill where they didn't bother with it, uh, which was mostly aspen, the fire stopped. Uh, uh, and there was lots of areas that the bobtail burned there that um, that didn't burn, that hadn't been brushed. Now, the government, uh, they actually did an analysis, because I, I write the letters from time to time, and uh, they... Uh, they did an analysis on the Shovel Lake fire and um, uh, I think the fire around Williams Lake. And they said, oh, James, you know, like you're saying that these aspen don't burn. Well, in our analysis, only uh, we only brushed uh, 10% of the area lost to the fire in those areas. As if 10% is not a big deal. But, you know, when you look at it, if, if they lost a million hectares and 100,000 of that was deciduous that wouldn't have burned that we brushed to convert to flammable conifer which then did burn and that we lost well you know that's not peanuts yeah. that's a, a significant amount of forest that we would still have on the landscape and not only that you know you could have used that 10 percent deciduous uh as a fire break and you could have leveraged that to protect more of the fire or more of the forest from the fire so uh and, that, and that's the other that's the other side of it here is that you know like we spray, they say we spray such a small amount of the forest in B.C. Um, you know, if that's true, which it isn't really true in Prince George, we spray about 20 to 30 percent of all harvested areas in Prince George. Uh, why don't we just lay off it? You know, like, is it the end of the forest industry if we let, you know, 10 percent more deciduous grow? Like, it's not, it's not like we're going to have aspen taking over everything. It's, right. um, it's uh, just a marginal... Uh, amount really that we're talking about yeah we recently had mike morris on and he was talking about uh discussions that he's been having uh as far as approaching forestry and the whole industry in a different way than we have been in the past have you heard a a lot of discussion along that lines and is it all outsiders talking or are people within the industry uh starting to come around to this idea well, uh, you're going to have a tough time convincing um, an industry that has, you know, set up a significant amount of in- investment doing things one way. Um, so I don't really hear it from them. Uh, you know, that said, we did, uh, Herb and I did go out with the Canfor, um, the head of Canfor and the head of the silviculture. They uh, invited us out to talk about some of the blocks north of Prince George that they didn't spray this year. There's quite a few cup blocks laid out for spraying, and um, we talked about, well, what can we do instead of spraying? And we made the case that we could use sheep grazing to, uh, because north of town is not really the aspen or the or the trees, the deciduous trees. It's more the raspberry, the fireweed, and that kind of thing that is they see as suffocating the spruce trees are growing. Mm-hmm. And so there's alternatives that you could have sheep in there to eat those uh, herbaceous um vegetations and and get those trees you know above above there or you could just wait i think you could just wait a little bit longer those trees are going to eventually grow but i think back to your question about you know a a new um, era of forestry i think we need to uh, move away from volume and get more value out of our wood and i think a lot of people who work in the industry and have been laid off uh, from mill shutdowns i think there's a growing awareness that how things are right now isn't working for our communities. I mean, look at McKenzie, what's happening there. Um, just the, the whole idea that uh, you shouldn't be milling the logs locally, you know, that should never have gone away. We should have always have kept the requirement uh, for local logs to be milled locally. Maybe that's not the most profitable thing for these huge companies to do, but maybe a local person could figure out a way to do it. Yeah, like I have a little wood miser, and the value is in the logs. It's not really in in the high tech, uh, you know, billion dollar investments from these big companies. You don't you don't need a lot of money to make money from our timber. 
you know, you can make uh, 100 2x4s and, and uh, no time at all on a wood miser. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of money you just made. Yeah. Uh, what kind of response are you getting when you talk to uh, different groups about Stop the Spray? Is it all positive or do you get a lot of pushback from uh, industry types? You don't. I mean, years ago we got more pushback, but, you know, on our Facebook page, you don't really get too much pushback. Uh, they just don't have the argument. I mean, we've, we've lost uh, almost half the forestry workforce in the last 20 years, and we still harvest the same amount. I mean, you just throw those numbers out there, and right there, people are like, yeah, that's not cool. And are you seeing positive uh, response from the upcoming generation of forestry students? Definitely, yes. I think a lot of the young foresters, and I did the field school with them, I think a lot of those students were... We're, you know, very um, open to, to other ways of doing forestry and, um, um, you know, seeing the value in, in the, not just the conifers, but deciduous trees. So I, I think there's definitely a, a, a shift happening. Uh, in Europe, there's a huge shift. So I think it's, it'll take some time for these ideas, I think, to to grow around the world. So in, in Germany now, it's the, the state law on federal forests that they have to have mixed forests. So you actually have to have deciduous. You can't do spruce plantations anymore right. on a lot of those jurisdictions because in Germany right now, the last uh, two summers, uh, I'm not sure what happened this summer, but last summer and the summer before, it was so dry that uh, these spruce are just dying left and right. Uh, whole forests have just uh, no moisture. just died. Uh, beetle infestations have gone in there and, and taken out... Uh, the spruce trees and then the beach and some of the other deciduous are still alive. Yeah. The places where they did practice mixed forestry are prospering and thriving, and the places where they're doing forestry like what we do uh, all died. So it's in our interest. You know, it's in, that's the other thing we're trying to get out the message out to companies like Hanfor and, and these big conifer saw log companies is that you've guys, you guys have to change because, you know, making these forests the way they are, like you drive down the Blackwater Road, it's just huge expanses of of pine mock plantation, you know, and it wasn't all pine before. It was spruce, it was Douglas fir, aspen, birch, and now there it's one species that we're that we're planting down there north of town. It's spruce, you know. We don't plant balsam fir, uh, we don't plant cedar, we plant spruce. Yeah, species that we're making our forests dependent on. Guys, that's not going to work. Like that's incredibly risky. So that's that's our message, and and I think. Um, I think people are kind of getting a little bit more aware of those risks, and uh, you know, it's it's going to save us money not to spray too. That's the other thing we could save. Uh, I think we spent like seventy million bucks spraying in the last ten years. That's money we could be spending on um, helping get uh, more um, capacity uh, milling and producing deciduous stuff. So. Yeah, and I guess as things change over in Europe, that's a, a huge positive. Uh, we have to wrap up, James, but uh, how can people get more information on Stop the Spray BC? Uh, we, well, we got our Facebook page, our website. If you're in town, if you're going out hunting, uh, we've got some bumper stickers. Uh, we have those right now at uh, KKS uh, Tactical there. And where is that, uh, KKS Tactical? Um, where is it? That's, uh, it's right right around the corner from Auto Magic, off of 15th there. Excellent. Uh, right, both, right beside that amazing uh, fish store there. Um, right. Oh, Anchors, yes. Anchors fish store, yeah. The Nicholson Square. That's it, yeah. Uh, so we got some stickers in there they can check out, um, and uh, or just uh, drop us a line, and we can uh, we can get you some more info, or if you want to talk to us, our phone number's on the website there in the, the About page. All right. Thanks, James, for calling in. Stop the Spray BC, and the website is stopthespraybc.ca.com. All right. So, uh, oh, thanks, for, thanks so much for having us on. No, guys. for sure. Come back uh, again. Yeah, great spot okay. to go and check out all the information for Stop the Spray. Stopthespraybc.com. Uh, quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey. Do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Backwards Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS-FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. 
I'm Corey Walker, and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Back Porch Pickens on the nights of 5, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. After much deliberation, the Exploration Place Board of Trustees, along with the Centre's management team, have decided to delay the facility's reopening to next spring. The closure will allow the museum the opportunity to undergo a major renovation, which will enhance the Exploration Place's ability to offer a world-class experience. Meanwhile, items from the gift shop are still available for curbside pickup, and everyone is encouraged to follow their online programming through Facebook and at theexplorationplace.com. To ease congestion at regional district recycle depots and transfer stations, all sites have returned to summer hours. As well, the Return It Center has reopened. The regional district reminds everyone to observe physical distancing measures at all sites, avoid unnecessary trips, and expect long lineups, especially on weekends. For full details on operating schedules for all regional district solid waste facilities, as well as COVID-19-related policies and procedures, please visit rdffg.bc.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Wind south 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 14. Tonight partly cloudy with showers beginning before morning. Gusting south winds becoming light near midnight, low of 6. More showers on Friday, wind from the southeast at 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 11. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And last Thursday evening, I managed to catch up with Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey to talk a little bit about the uh, goings-on for minor hockey right now. Uh, Steve, a lot of changes uh, coming our way? Well, there's there there already been the changes. We're, we're living within those changes, and they're, so far they've been exciting, to tell you the truth. It's... Um, the, the smiles on the kids' faces from we started our rep tryouts now a week ago. We had pre-ice to get kids on the ice that, uh, as we knew, there was going to be kids that were up in Prince George. We didn't have ice all summer, so some went other places to get ice. Some just stayed here and, and didn't get on the ice, so it was good. We got everyone that was trying out from our U11 to our U18. They got two to three ice times before getting on, before evaluation, so it was exciting. And then the changes are smaller numbers coming dressed 15 minutes before um right now no parents allowed in and it's been working really well we have our masters at the door greeting the kids and going through our all our trial process and um it, so far it's, it's been good to get back on the ice see these kids having a, a good time smiling and, and playing the game they enjoy uh, let's talk a little bit about your position director of hockey, hockey operations what all does that entail and uh, what are what are your duties? Well, this summer, I mean, it, it's an unusual this year. I, I'd like to tell you what my duties are, but they've been kind of everything with COVID. Is trying to sort through the Via Sport, the BC Hockey, Hockey Canada, all these different uh, regulations, um, rallying people together to make sure our rinks got open. That that got added to the job description, you know. Um, but it, biggest thing is just setting a direction for the minor hockey and I mean one of them right now we're actually in the middle of I just came off the ice we uh, one of the directions was to bring in Power Edge Pro it's a skill development system and it was made famous by Connor McDavid he was the first guy to kind of be trained on it and I, I think he's a pretty good example of how it's worked uh, that's an element we brought in here for, for our kids to get trained uh, up on skill development here one of the harder things in today's game is to actually teach skills. Um, depending on when you played the game, we're not even close, if you played in the 80s or the 90s, to what these players are doing on the ice, the edge work, the hands, the changing directions, the crossovers. It's a completely different game, and this is this system allows for our volunteer coaches. We have a team of getting trained right now that will come on the ice and help our coaches and our players just get better with those little details and that's so that's one of the things is just set in the direction of where minor hockey's gonna go. Our evaluation process, just making sure it's very clear, um, independent evaluation. So I, I always say there's there's kind of three things that gets gets the season off and running. Um, making sure that we have good evaluations, our ice time is being allotted properly when we're playing games and good communication. We do those three things Usually the kids and the parents have a good experience. When we don't, that's when we have, we have issues and we have to deal with that. So 
that's my job is to make sure we're, we're heading in the right direction. We've got good communication, uh, good rhyme and reason why we're doing things with good common sense. Yeah, the skill aspect of it, it's amazing when you watch uh, NHL or even uh, Spruce Kings or Cougars, the hand-eye coordination in uh, puck handling and tipping and all those sorts of things. Uh, it, to me, it's uh, mind-boggling. Well, I did a presentation for BC Hockey four years ago on small area games and cross ice because that was what came in and people were fighting this cross ice because we've been on big ice with little kids for decades and people are like why are we doing it why are we changing well a good example i, I showed a, an example of uh, the rangers versus philadelphia flyers in the offensive defensive zone for each one of them and there's eight players from the net to the corner to the top of the circles so if you can't play in a small area and in traffic you can't play you go to a spruce kings game and it's the same thing on that little matchbox that they play on if you can't play in traffic you can't play this game, and that's that's what we're trying to educate our parents about, is that you need to be able to do this cross-ice. You need to have four or five people around you. And it's taken us decades to learn this. Like uh, the Brazilians in soccer did this in the 60s and 70s. They created that game, I don't always pronounce it right, but foosball. They took a, a, put you in a small space with a heavier ball, and then you get on this large field and you there's only one guy to beat, there isn't four. So that's the mindset is you have to have that ability to change directions, protect pucks, put pucks in space, all those different little things that requires from cross ice, small area, small area games. And that's that's the push here is just trying to educate our, our players, our parents, our coaches, everyone involved. That's where the game's going. Yeah, I guess that's uh, one aspect of the game that has changed probably the most in the last even 10 years, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Like I always say, if you played before 2004, you haven't you haven't played in today's game. And if you, you coach before 2004, you're, you're, you don't know what's the difference here. Like our systems are still the same. There's, people run a one-two-two and a two-one-two, and these four checks and defensive zones. There's some layers, all that stuff. But the actual um, ability to play the game, the speed that these guys play at, the decision making they have to play at. The only way you do that is to train them that way. And that's where we're trying to get to is train. And I've been saying with, with our guys that are training here, our goal here, it's not to win provincial championships. It's not to win a, a Wee Tier 1 championship. Our goal is to win a TELUS Cup and an ESO Cup. Our goal as minor hockey is to push these kids right up to the zone program. And then the other part of it is, is also the fun. Like we, we want the kids that play recreational hockey as well and have fun. And that's where our evaluations are coming in. This, this, uh, in the next two weeks here, we're having recreational evaluations to make sure our teams are equal. Make sure that they're when they get on the ice, they have as good a chance to win or lose each night. There's, there's nothing worse than uh, getting beat by people every night. I hope be placed and and have a good fun year. Kind of losing you a bit there, Steve, oh, uh, but we'll try to keep going. You mentioned uh, your job description changed a lot over the uh, off season, and you had to take on a lot of tasks that you normally wouldn't be doing. I imagine that made for some long days. Well, yeah, I had someone text me today about the sport documents and and whatnot. It was, I mean, it was a lot of reading and just trying to keep up with with everything that was changing from phase one to phase two to phase three, how that all looked and what we we're going to do with that and how that was going to affect our team numbers, our jerseys and equipment, um, ice time. How is that all look? And one of the things like the cohorts, you can only have 50 people in a court. So for us, that, um, that means five teams of 10. Well, that's not traditional. That's very different. Having, we're going to have 20 kids on the ice, 10 V 10. And, the ice time is going to be shorter, but there's a lot more ice. It's four versus four, so a lot more ice. You're going out every second shift. So your ice time might be shorter, but your puck touches, your actual on-ice time, or even in your practices, our coaches, was kind of one to eight. We're going to be down in that one to five ratio now for coach to player. So the instruction is going to be, is going to be even better and more, and you're not going to stand in line as much. So dealing with all that and trying to wrap your head around it and and contacting other minor hockey associations. The one thing that's come out of COVID is 
has been really good communication from from different minor hockey associations in BC that you may not have called before because you're your rival, but you've actually started to talk and, and plan together and, and work together on things. That's part one of the interview I did with Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey from last Thursday evening's post-to-post sports talk show. Uh, Part two of that uh, interview coming up in a moment here on After 9. The PGSO has unveiled its 50th anniversary fall season. Bring Back the Joy of Live Music includes four concerts in the new ballroom of the Prestige Treasure Cove Resort with a 50-ticket limit at each of four concert weekend performances. A kinder concert will feature two afternoon performances on December 5th. Tickets are available online, at the PGSO office, or by phone. Full details are available at pgso.com. The Prince George Symphony Orchestra's 50th anniversary fall season. Bring back the joy of live music. Advocate Life and Education Services is holding a virtual fundraising gala October 23rd. Former sports writer and professional golfer Kirk Walden will be the keynote speaker. Author of the powerful new book, The Wall, Walden has over 30 years of experience and influence advocating for women and children. It promises to be an evening filled with humor, vision, and hope. Advocate Life and Education Services Virtual Fundraising Gala, Friday, October 23rd. For full details, visit advocate.ca. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council has compiled a return to activity guide. The guidelines are based on recommendations by provincial and municipal health authorities, as well as provincial sport and recreation organizations. iSpark continues to monitor the COVID-19 situation and will adopt the guidelines as required. For the latest version of the iSpark Return to Activity Guidelines, visit iSpark.ca. That's I-S-P-A-R-C dot C-A. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council. Move. Play. Compete. The new circulation area at the Prince George Public Library is now open. Physical distancing protocols are in place with a limit of 20 visitors at a time. Services are also currently limited to borrowing and dropping off library materials, and access is only available through the Civic Centre Rotunda. Be sure to check out the library's weekly programs, available online at pgpl.ca. That's your public library, now open for limited service from 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday in the Canada Game. Plaza. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now part two of the interview I did with Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey as recorded last Thursday evening on our Post to Post program. And what about feedback from parents and the players? Has, has that been positive so far or are you still battling with people not wanting to change? No, it, it's been really good. I think sometimes it takes us in a way capacity. You're just, you're really thankful for what you got. And I know Trevor Sprague with his own program, it's gone off without a hitch here. I know he had a lot of issues after to get through, you know, with uh, logistics, and his went off. Now we're into our rep trial, and the kids have just had a really fantastic time. Every, every kid we've talked to, because parents are in the building, but through the coaches and through our managers that are in place so far and the kids on the ice, it's just, they're excited to be back on the ice because it's been a real mental grind for everyone, not just the kids, but for the parents, everybody. And to be able to drop your kid off at the rink, you might not be able to get them to watch them, but at least to have them come out with a smile on their face, a good sweat on, that's what you've missed for the last whether it was summertime where we were on the ice with hockey or even soccer or baseball, we've missed that, you know, for months. And we're fortunate the rinks have gotten open. And now, uh, for us, it's a push again to get get another rink on. We're at full capacity here, ringette and uh, figure skating. We're using every ounce of ice we possibly can, and we still need more. We have a waiting list now that's developed because we had to shut down our, our registration September 10th just so we can form cohorts and know our numbers. So we have a wait list now. We're going to try to fulfill that, but we need more ice again. Um, we're using it. I know adult hockey isn't even going. Our big challenge now is we're allowed to play games in cohorts, but we don't have enough ice yet to play the games. We have just enough ice to practice right now for our recreational, for our rep teams. Um, so we need more ice again. So it's it's now a push again at, at our city to, to try to put it at the end on, online here in the next few weeks. So that these young kids can can play some games and get some competition in. 
Right. So uh, currently you're stuck with just the Kin Center, is that correct? Yeah, Kin 1, 2, and 3, and um, they're running full bore every evening, every weekend, even during the days with PGSS program, those kids are on the ice. Uh, the zone program has six teams that are on the ice during the days over the week, and they've had to, they've had to battle a lot of stuff because of the cohorts at the school, cohorts on the ice. They, they've really figured out their stuff to try to provide for kids, and everyone's making it work. It, it's different showing up dressed and, and leaving here stinky getting in your car it's not it's not great bringing your your player home stinky like that but these are the adjustments we're making and people are, are good with it right now and i know the city's working hard on improving um our product here on how we come in the rink and different things where there's talk about dress rooms maybe happening you know maybe parents being allowed in um, but our big thing is we're we're really bound by the fifty, and that's that's provincial, that's citywide, fifty people in, in a in a facility at a time. So there's still some logistics, but right now we're really happy to be on the ice and and playing again. Uh, you talked about uh, things different than they were in the past. Have you had to make a lot of changes on the fly since uh, since <laughs> the ice opened up? Yeah, yeah, we are. Like things. Um, Things have, have always changed all the time from our group numbers. Um, the one thing that stayed pretty steady is how we're entering and exiting, all that, which is good. Um, but our group numbers have expanded. So that was one thing, trying to stay ahead of what the next thing might be, just because equipment and numbers and facts and how we're going to use our ice. So we're constantly... Um, up until we should be good by the end of October here, or end of September, uh, we've gotten through all those challenges of getting kids evaluated. What's our sizes? What's our times? How much ice do we have? Um, we are Audrey here in, with our minor hockey offices work really closely with the city, trying to give and take with other groups. Like, okay, we need this, but they need it. Okay, let's let's let them work with it. So it's been a it's been a challenge every day, just trying to provide and, and close everything up. Uh, so with the uh, BCHL and the WHL, uh, Spruce Kings and the Cougars, uh, the indication still is that they will likely start their seasons in December. Does that then give you uh, two more pieces of ice to work with? I don't know. Yeah, it'll just certainly give us one more. Um, but I'm not. I'm not sure. For me, um, my area. Um, I just. I'm part of the Cougar. I just. I want to see the Western Hockey League back. I want to see the CHL back. It's just those young. Those young men. Uh, the time into uh, the game of hockey. Uh, uh, an education or a career, and right now being held up with this, it, it's difficult. Um, it, those are businesses, and they they can't they know they can't run like any can't run with uh, nobody in the in your store or nobody in your place. So those challenges are still being uh, addressed. Uh, so the BCHL has met some of it by doing a pay to. Um, some teams are up and running. Uh, I think the Spruce is going here shortly with practice and development ice. You know the Cougars. Um, there's a plan coming out from Hockey Canada West to the hub. Uh, training in, in Vancouver, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, and Brandon, where kids will come in there and get trained because um, I, you might have seen the World Juniors were announced today that's going to go in a bubble. Well, the Western Hockey League, the OHL, and the Q, they provide 90, 95% of those players, and those kids need to be developed and ready to play on a, on a big-time stage. And um, so we need those buildings. We need these programs functioning again. So you really don't know about uh, the possibility of new or more ice. Uh, there's been no conversations with City Hall on that yet? Not from us. Um, okay. Again, um, if we want to go down this road, they don't talk to us. That's, that's the big thing is we talk with our ice person here, um, uh, Susie Jones, who's been fantastic with us, working with us. She shares our message, but we don't hear from a city manager. We don't hear from council again of where we're at and what we need because um, we're doing our due diligence here, following the rules and face streets. We can play games if we need more ice. And, uh, um, and the, um, of, of light ice, 
recreational. Um, they need they need ice to be able to play during the week as well, not just always on the weekend. Um, it's a big production here. I mean, we got 900 people service here. Uh, just in the minor hockey, the zone program, the zone program, they need to play games. So we, we need ice and we need the buildings going because, like I said, we're servicing the bare minimum right now. And that's that's the same for all these, um, for figure skating, ringette, adult hockey. I, I know people that want to be back playing adult hockey with whatever the restrictions are. They want to get back on the ice. And we can't provide that right now. And uh, our buildings, we they know they run a deficit. And that's budgeted in runs that have gone on, that's not here. That's that's a scheduled number. We know what we need to pay, and we're, we're providing what we're doing. So we need those buildings. We need them going again. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey. Uh, when After Nine returns, we'll, we'll have Sharon Hurd and her discussion with Tiffany Primus from the Prince George Party Program. The Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety has some tips for people operating a restaurant during the current pandemic. Among the suggestions, promote home delivery, pre-ordering or curbside pickup. Use signs and markings to control the flow of people in the restaurant. Limit the number of customers allowed in at one time and provide a waiting area outside with markers designated safe physical distancing. And remove large condiment containers from tables, replacing them with single-use items. For more tips on pandemic-related health and safety, go to ccohs.ca. This year, Fall Fest isn't just a one-day event. Hosted by downtown Prince George, it runs through October 12th with plenty of great deals and events. On Saturdays throughout Fall Fest, visit one of the three local markets and take time to grab a pancake breakfast at the Royal Canadian Legion. There's plenty of great shopping, food, and excitement, as well as the chance to win downtown experiences to share with family and friends. For all the information you need on Downtown Fall Fest, visit downtownpg.com slash fallfest. The Ecra Kitchen is open for lunch. Takeout meals are available between 11.30 and 1, Monday through Friday. Diners are allowed in one at a time through the east entrance, with all physical distancing rules being strictly followed. Meals are just $6. Correct change is appreciated. The menu for the month is posted with some frozen meals, also available as well as soup and a bun and pie. It's the Elder Citizens Recreation Centre Kitchen. Open weekdays for lunch from 11.30 to 1 on 10 between Vancouver and Winnipeg. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Wind south 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 14. Tonight partly cloudy with showers beginning before morning. Gusting south winds becoming light near midnight, low of 6. More showers on Friday. Wind from the southeast at 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 11. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now Sharon Hurd and a discussion she had with Tiffany Primus from the Prince George Party Program. Now, Tiffany, you've you've got an organization that I don't think anybody's heard of, and uh, only the people who have teenagers who are are needing them to have some guidance. And so your program is called Party. Party. <laughs> now, tell us what that stands for. Uh, so a party program, um, it's a lot easier to say that way. Um, in long, it is the um, Prevent Alcohol and Risk-Related Trauma in Youth Program. So in short, basically what that means is that through um, reality education, we present a program to um, youth um, in Prince George and around, um, around Prince George as well where we basically talk to them about um, making safe life choices, about drugs and alcohol, about um, basically just the consequences of their actions and, um, yeah, just making safer choices and realizing that as they get older, right, mm-hmm. they, um, they are going to have more responsibility and um, how they want to live their life is very dependent on the decisions that they make as they get older. So, and so, how do how is is this for kids, or or can you talk to the grandparents or the parents, or how does it work? 
Yeah, absolutely. So our program um, is open to anyone. So if there were grandparents that wanted to check it out or anything like that, that is always, um, we're always uh, welcoming to that and you can come and spend a day with us. Good. Um, But the whole point of it is that you're right. They are attached to their cell phones. They have all of the YouTube videos, all of that stuff at their fingertips, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole point of our day with them is um, doing it through reality education. So what I mean by that is that we actually have a doctor who works in Emerge who comes and talks to them about stuff he sees all day. Um, and he has slideshows that some are quite graphic even where he just walks them through like, you know what, if you end up in my trauma bay, this is the stuff I'm going to have to do to you. This is what it's going to look like. This is um, what you're going to experience. Um, and he shares his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a member of the RCMP who comes and he also shares stories, shares some statistics, um, and he also shows some pictures um, of just even some accident scenes and stuff that he's been involved in and how it affects those parents, what it's like for him to have to go and notify families, right, that their um, their teenage son or daughter is not going to be coming home again, right, and what that's like. Um, and then we also, um, we have brain injury survivors who come in. They actually talk to the kids, and the kids get to ask them questions. Um, so these are people who have brain injuries, um, one of them is because of doing drugs. Another one is because of smoking pot. Um, another one wasn't wearing a helmet on a ski hill and ended up with a brain injury. So they share their stories, and then the kids can actually talk to them and ask them anything they want. Um, and it's a great, great way to start conversation that way. It would be. I mean, that's so um, logical and practical. Yeah, and it's different when these um, these people are sitting in front of them, right? Because you can show them YouTube videos all day long, yeah. but when they're not looking at someone in a wheelchair um, or looking at someone who can't have a full-time job anymore, things like that, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. So do the kids come as a group, Tiffany, or do th- is it a one-on-one thing, or how do they get referred to you? So we actually have um, a great, great relationship with all of the schools in Prince George, as well as some of the other um, programs, the alternate learning programs, um, Camp Trapping, the Youth Custody mm-hmm. Center, um, things like that. So we have a great relationship with all of them. And we have um, basically every Thursday during the school year, we run the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a school that comes or a group that comes each Thursday and they spend their entire school day with us. Wow. Yeah. That's... So we have, before it was up to about 40 kids every Thursday. Wow. Now with COVID, I, I guess it's cut back. Yeah, we are still planning on running the program. We're giving the schools a little bit of leeway right now just to kind of navigate their new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, before we were having the program in the hospital, which was great for the kids. Um, but of course, that's not an option at this point. Um, but that being said, we we completely plan on just adapting like everybody else is doing right now. And we will just be um, arranging it so that we can bring the program into the schools instead of... Um, having the students in the hospital. But this is really quite brilliant to uh, have a classroom do it. We have great, great response from the teenagers as well. Like, I have to say that um, by the time they're done with us, we have just kind of come at it from every angle, um, whether it's um, stories that get to them, whether it's seeing people that are actually brain injured that get to them, um, Mm-hmm. Even things like smell. So we do all different senses so that whatever your way of remembering things is, we try to hit that so that there's some point in the day that really sticks with them. I mean, we even have a brain that we keep in a jar. Um, <laughs> and that smell of formaldehyde is not a smell you will ever forget once you smell that. Um, but yeah, and just like whatever... Um, there's always something during the day that will stick with them, and that's our goal is to get that message and some part of that data stick with them so that when they're in a situation, 
and they're making choices, they go, oh, I remember when I heard that story or when I saw that picture or, oh, the smell of that was horrible, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's all trauma, eh? post-traumatic stress stuff. Mm-hmm. And and um, uh, so many people aren't aware that they're reacting to a memory from the past. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so important to teach people that when you are act, reacting in anger, you're covering fear, and and it's something to do with something you experienced at a very young age. If you haven't been able to talk to people about that, you know yeah. what, what makes you feel that way right now. You're giving kids a a, a huge opportunity to um, learn how to control their reactions because it. It, the feeling is it's happening now, but it isn't happening now. Yeah. Yeah. This is really yeah. uh, very interesting. Um, I was just thinking about, um, yeah, so you go up to, uh, or the kids do come in from uh, Camp Trapping. They do. So we have kids from Camp Trapping. We actually, um, depending on the amount of um, youth that are out at the Youth Custody Center, we will also take Um, Our program and our volunteers, we pack everything up and we'll take it out there and do um, a program for them because they need to hear the message as well. Um, And then um, we have schools from all around Prince George that actually will bus in for the day. So like Vanderhoof, Fort St. James, McKenzie, Burns Lake, Valmont, they all will come in um, and spend a Thursday with us as well. I think this is just the greatest thing I've ever heard of. It is fantastic, I have to say. I am, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And um, Tiffany, who funds it? So all of our funding, we are a nonprofit, so all of our funding comes from grants and donations, Mm -hmm. um, which is a huge thing for us um, because we need to make sure that we have funding in place by the time we start our school year so that we can confirm all of those classes, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, we get um, all year. I mean, we're always looking for donations and stuff. We do a lot of stuff with the Red Nose campaign every year. We have a bunch of us that go and volunteer for Red Nose um, and stuff like that. And then a lot of our doctors and stuff will support us sometimes, but... Um, yeah, that's part of my job too, right, is making sure that we get the funding so we can keep this program going. Yeah, so we just had um, Prince George Community Foundation on ahead of you, and, mm-hmm. and they're, um, they're open until October, I think, October 15th, yeah, I think. October 15th. And I don't know if you've applied for grants from them or not. We sure have, yes. Yep. I actually have their fall one on my desk as we speak. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. It's in the works. But this should be um, guaranteed funding. I think that this is a very important program, and I think it would be worth your while to talk to Shirley Bond or Mike um, Morris about this because you're doing something remarkable, and you're giving kids an opportunity to not have uh, rollovers that have a designated driver who know the... Have you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? The which? Dunning. It's D-U-N-N-I-N-G. No. And the second part is Kruger, K-R-U-E-G-E-R effect. I have not. Well, look that up because what it is is that you've got to think about the worst scenario when you're making a plan to do something. Mm-hmm. And and so many people um, make a decision to do something maybe and don't think about the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'll give you that because I had never heard of it either. And I, I'm guilty of this many times of not thinking about the possible outcomes. The other part is I really... I need, I'll talk to you later. I'll get a hold of you later because there's some way that we have to find guaranteed funding for this program, Tiffany. Yeah, and we are. Um, we also have great support, too. ICBC is wonderful, and they back us up as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Doug McDonald is a huge supporter, and he actually will come and um, do presentations for us as well and stuff. So mm-hmm. super grateful for them, and we work alongside with 
them on that too um, because it coincides right with the road safety and stuff like that yeah 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 but I uh, yeah but this is something that I didn't really know about and I think that other people didn't know about and I think the more that we can say that this is a very important program and needs to have guaranteed funding the more we can put pressure on the government to um, give you a guaranteed funding to run this all year yeah, round. That would be great. Yeah. And so I have to do a little thinking, but I'll put my thinking cap on and then I'll talk to you. Um, and you have a board of directors, I would imagine. We do, yes. Yeah. And the, you have a white website. So if somebody wants to get on the board and also you would have volunteers, I would think. We have a lot of volunteers. Yeah, if anybody's interested, um, our website is the pgpartyprogram.ca, mm-hmm. um, and our AGM meeting is actually this Thursday. So if anyone was interested in getting some information or anything, you can always go on the website. Um, my email phone number is on there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and we're always, um, always looking and willing to have more people volunteer and get involved. Yeah, well, I hope people are, are are excited about this as we are because, um, and I don't know, I think I'd like to sort of bring you on every so often just to remind people that there is this program and if you have grandchildren or nieces or nephews or even your own kids, mm-hmm. um, you might want to um, get involved in this. And yeah. so, Tiffany, I really appreciate it. What was the website again, pgpartyprogram.com? CA? That's right, pgpartyprogram.ca. As first heard on our Senior Moments program Tuesday afternoon here on 93.1 CFIS-FM, Sharon Hurd talking with Tiffany Primus from the Prince George Party Program. Back, back to wrap in a moment here on After 9. The farmers' markets in Prince George are back for another season. The Wilson Square Community Market has returned to the downtown, operating on 3rd Avenue between George Street and Queensway. While the Prince George Farmers' Market is up and running indoors at 3rd and Quebec, as well as on Quebec Street between 2nd and 3rd. Both markets have developed physical distancing plans, capping attendance at 50. The Prince George Farmers' Market and the Wilson Square Community Market open from 8 to 2, Saturdays downtown. September is Spirit Month and you still have time to get involved and support the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation. Friday from 6 to 9 is Wine Lovers 2020 Reimagined being held as a virtual dinner auction this year. As well, $5 will be donated from every refreshly local feature item sold at Winston's this month. Proceeds from both events help the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation provide better health outcomes here in the North. For full details or to make a donation, visit spiritofthenorth.ca. The Seniors Resource Centre at 721 Victoria Street has partially reopened. People can come to the centre Monday to Wednesday between 10 and 2 by appointment only. Please do not come in if you are experiencing any signs of illness, such as fever or a cough, or have had recent contact with someone who is isolating. To book an appointment with the centre, call between those same hours, 250-564-5888 or 250-552-2828. The Seniors Resource Centre, 721 Victoria Street. Open Monday to Wednesday from 10 to 2 by appointment only. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, that's Sharon interview and a little longer than I'd wanted, but uh, a little bit of time left just to thank our guests. Sharon Hurd was uh, talking with uh, Tiffany Primus from the Prince George Party Program. Uh, we also had... Uh, Steve O'Rourke from Prince George Minor Hockey and at the beginning of the show James from Stop the Spray BC you can check that out online stopthespraybc.com to find out all the good work they're doing to help uh, change the forest industry in Prince George and uh, well right across BC to help uh, yeah yeah it's keep a the in- Canada wide issue I guess oh, they for have sure. a real problem in New yeah. Brunswick with it as well and like he said he mentioned uh, things are starting to change in Europe and I think that's where we have to sort Take of watch what they're doing and sort of pay attention because uh, they've already gone through a, a, a lot of the problems that we're starting to experience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious of the effects on the water myself. But. Tomorrow we'll have a uh, front burner from CBC News followed by the hot topics with the Friday panel. So make sure you turn in. Make sure you tune in tomorrow <laughs> after nine. 
After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society. Prince George's five-day forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Winds south 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 14. Partly cloudy tonight with showers beginning before morning, gusting south winds becoming light near midnight and a low of 6. For Friday, more showers, winds southeast 30, gusting to 50.